0: No helicopters have been procured for me to go to golf course. Thank you. I've never said he wasn't a great politician. I'm just saying he's a it's, supposed to be an uh, <laughs> How'd you play out there today?
1: Uh, well, I found the conditions challenging, mostly because there's no grass on the golf course, but there never has been.
0: I'm thinking about the swag bag, and I have yeah, yeah, yeah. high the swag
1: bag. When you got three crevices on the green.
0: Yo, course is trash. What's happening, folks? Welcome back, Beltway Golfer Podcast, Episode Thirty-Seven. Alex Dixon here. This episode, Brian Kington of Kington Golf Design, and Joshua Stevie, who um, I list him as a Link Soldier. Uh, because he is a uh, a Marine Corps veteran and a heavy golfer and does a lot of work with Link Soul uh, and as a liaison to their uh, charitable efforts uh, for military veterans. Um, But he's got his hand in a lot of different stuff. Um, This podcast is really, uh, came about to talk about Laurel Hill. Um, Joshua Stevie and Brian Kington met uh, when Josh was interviewing Brian and bill love uh, brian 's uh, partner in love golf design and his essentially his mentor in the uh, golf course design business bill love 's now retired brian 's out of his own. We get into a lot of that in the in the conversation, um, but Josh and Brian have become golfing buddies essentially ever since meeting during the research of joshua 's article. I first reached, that, reached out to Joshua after reading that article. Um, we've become friends. I've played golf with him a couple times over the years, seen Joshua really kind of get his hand in the, all sorts of different areas within the golf world. Um, I, have talked to him a couple times about doing this podcast and the idea, um, often really came, and I don't know if it was, I don't know whose idea it was, but it was, it was always, we got to do it with Brian Kington. I'm really glad that we did that because Brian is now he was, uh, out on his own. Brian's a young guy, uh, certainly for, for the golf course architecture business and he's really just starting to get revved up. So in our conversation, um, he talks about a, a, a project that apparently has been in the works for, for a very long time, but a, a really high end private pro- project. About an hour west of Richmond, uh, he talks about uh, a short course at Laurel Hill that he's trying to get uh, get uh, get get done or get approved. Um, off camera, we talked about a couple other projects that I'm really excited about about the DC area that uh, unfortunately are still um, in certain parts of the process that they're not able to be shared quite yet. But uh, I would encourage you. Uh, to follow Kington Golf Design and, and Beltway Golfer, as, as I hope to be able to share, uh, share the news and some of the things he's working on uh, before too long. Um, I know while he was in town, he, he also uh, was doing some work, uh, some, some bunker work out at a Jefferson District Golf Course in, uh, in Fairfax. Um, but he's, he's busy. He's moved his home base out to, uh, out to Nevada, uh, but I think he's going to be back in the D.C. area quite a bit Doing uh, doing a lot of the projects that we that we spoke about. Um, Josh or Stevie, he's he's just a he's a he's a golf fanatic. Um, he's a, he's an ambassador for the game. He's got his hand in, in a lot of different areas, um, and the, and the two of them uh, made for a fun conversation. So I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's it's a lot about Laurel Hill Golf Course, but we also talk about the industry and golf course architecture and you know i think we hit on a bunch of topics and i and could easily sit down with them for another podcast and, and maybe will at some point but um, here's today's episode uh, episode 37 beltway golfer podcast joshua stevie and brian kington enjoy all right so we're, let's kick this out so we're, we're out here at um, laurel hill golf club in uh, lorton virginia uh, with two gentlemen brian kington and Josh Stevie. How are you, fellas? Sir Brian Kington. Doing excellent. Sir Brian, beer. Well, let's, yeah, we got, we got a couple of beers on the <laughs> table. let crack it, these. It is Friday, so let's start. We'll crack these off. Thank you guys so long. Brian? <laughs> oh,
2: hey, you cheers. cheers. Good guys. to see
0: you guys. So, so, Josh, we played golf a couple times and we've met at least a few times. Yeah, man. Brian, I guess we've we never really, we, we spoke briefly at an event here. What year was that? 2018. 2018. Yeah. That was it. years a, ago. That was an event that you spearheaded, right, Josh?
2: It was. That was a Golfers Journal uh, jailbreak event here, and we ended up raising thirty-five thousand dollars to send some disabled veterans on a dream golf trip to Ireland.
0: So that is that is pretty, pretty awesome. We're we're gonna we're gonna get to that event. We're gonna get to some of the work that you did with the Golfers Journal. This is kind of a new style for me of doing these podcasts because I'm interviewing, I was essentially, squeezing two different interviews in one. Yeah. I'm talking to two guys that. I know you guys have become good friends and, and, yeah. and kind of golfing buddies, but you have two very different kind of paths and uh, yeah. relationships with with, with, with golf. Yeah. Um, the reason we're here at Laurel Hill is, Brian, you know, you why don't you, why don't you tell us? I mean, you, you played a huge role in the design and build of this course, correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have to give a lot of the credit to uh, my longtime partner, Bill Love. He laid the course out originally. I was only i had only been working for him for about four years at that time so i was a few years out of college i was, he was still very much looking over my shoulder at everything that i did and you know this is th- what you, what you're about 2004 we started construction at the golf exactly. course so the design was done in 2002 2003 it was my first project where bill really cut me loose to supervise the construction so i was out here especially living locally i was out here almost every day you know playing in the dirt and, and shaping the features and you know that's how you have to learn this business you cannot learn it in a school you have to yeah. learn it nobody teaches it in a school you have to learn it from somebody else you have to do it the old-fashioned way as an, an apprentice you know a mentor protege kind of relationship and and learn it from somebody who's who's been in the business a long time who at one point learned it from somebody else and that's exactly what i did so you know it's not the kind of it's not the kind of um profession that you can learn right away it takes several years to figure out everything you know i, I I've read every book there possibly was to read about golf and golf course architecture before I graduated high school. And and one of the first things I learned when I walked in Bill Love's office was that I didn't know shit.
0: (laughs) So so Bill Love is based in College Park, correct?
1: He was. He retired at the end of last year. So I um, I took over the firm and moved to the West Coast. But that was after about a 40-year career and a lot of a lot of airline miles and a yeah. lot of hotel rooms and a lot of a lot of successful golf projects well we'll,
0: we'll we'll get to your move as well but but so you you originally grew up in in new england and then moved down here for college
1: right so? yeah i grew up in connecticut i i decided that i wanted to be a golf architect in 1994. i could yeah. tell you what i was wearing where i was standing who i was talking to and i've never looked back i i've never had a job i've only had three different employers in my entire life i've never had a job that didn't directly relate to this business and and like i said i never looked back i i ran with it and here we are 27 years later
0: interesting and 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 bill love so so you went to university of maryland
1: yeah i came down to to washington dc to to go to college i chose university of maryland they they gave me a scholarship which was nice but i really chose the school because i had a four-year landscape architecture program and
0: scholarship related to landscape landscape right
1: right and well a lot of of the la programs are five
0: years
1: (laughs) and i again i knew what i wanted to do and i knew that i had to get a landscape architecture degree to do that but i wanted to be in and out of college and into the business as fast as possible and i think there are maybe three schools in the whole country that only have four-year programs so i picked maryland and and that's when i met bill i didn't i didn't know of bill at the time when i agreed to go to school there um so you
0: started interning with him like, i started interning
1: him halfway through college okay. and a few of my classmates were doing the same thing um they didn't have an interest in golf course design like i did but you know it was an available internship right in the same town as our as our school so i started as an intern and then started working full-time upon graduation and was skipping class a lot junior and senior <laughs> year <laughs> no it actually worked out great because Um, I got fortunate. I mean, landscape architecture really seems similar to golf course architecture, but it's not. I mean, there's very little overlap because golf course architecture is so specialized. So I got lucky in the fact that my primary professor went to grad school with Bill. So he knew Bill very well, he knew that I was getting a more specialized and better education yeah. Well I was spending more time in Bill's office than in design studio in college. So I was really fortunate in that regard that he allowed
0: me that flexibility to so to really a, spend a lot of time with the Bill. Professors at Maryland, they're not they're not giving you like study you St Andrews classes, that kind of no, thing. No, 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 no. Every, every other landscape architecture
1: major wanted to design residential gardens, stuff like that. I was the only one that, that had an interest in golf.
0: And before we get to Laurel Hill, so a couple things. Uh, Bill Love, he, he started working with, with Alt Clark originally. Right,
1: yeah, he learned the business from from Eddie Alt, who has been passed away for a while now, but he's one of the icons in this area. He yeah. did a massive amount of work, mostly in the 60s, 70s, and into the 80s.
0: I actually um, sat down, I sat down with Tom Clark a while ago, but the, the episode before this one, I sat down with Brian Alt, Eddie mm-hmm. Alt's son, um who's cool kind of, who's I, I, he's still working he's kind of on the tail, right. the tail end of his career yeah uh but he talks about bill love in our, in our interview which i haven't i haven't put out yet um but so then so bill love went on his own you start working with him but you guys did, also did a significant renovation work at the university of maryland the golf course right right
1: we renovated that course in 2008 into 2009 very successfully they they had the, the nike tour in there whatever it was called at the time for a couple of years. Um, it moved over from Woodmore. Very, very successful. That was,
0: that was like the PG County Open, which is essentially right. And right. the Nike Tour you know, after a few different names, now the Cornberry. <laughs> right. Right.
1: Right. So, and then, you know, Bill, he lived in College Park, yeah. you know, almost his whole life. I think he moved there when he was 10 or something like that. So he knew that golf course very well and the other local courses. So, you know, projects like that were really special to him, Got you it. know, growing up playing the course and having a chance to go back and, and renovate it at some point.
0: So we're going to we're, we're going to hit pause on you for a second cuz we're going to we're going to merge you guys here in a minute. But let's just, so Josh, let's, let's let's go to you for a second. And what's your background? Where, where are you? What what has brought you uh, you know, we, we know you're local. We know you're a huge golfer. We're going to yeah. tell you a lot about your story, yeah, but yeah. tell us a little bit about your background.
2: Um, so I grew up in southwest Ohio. Um, and after high school, I enlisted in the Marines. Uh so was 98. I uh, spent uh, the next nine years in, in the Marine Corps. Um, I did five years in the infantry and four years in communications, bunch of deployments, um, and uh, got out um, in 2007 and uh, enrolled at The Ohio State University uh, in the professional golf management program uh, because you know, I wanted to work in the golf business. You know, I, I thought I wanted to teach.
0: I've never actually been to Columbus. I yeah. only know the, the Ohio State yeah, University yeah. from watching like Monday Night Football when the yeah. guys say that. Is that how everybody is. In, yeah, on yeah, campus yeah, refers yeah. to it? It's
2: there. a proper. There actually is a, 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 a V on the on the front end of the name. Um, but yeah, I wanted to teach um, uh, after spending uh, you know uh, almost a decade in, in, in service and you know, I, I love golf and I wanted to sort of be outside and I like being around, uh, junior golfers and, and, and teaching was really sort of a passion. So that's, that's what I thought I wanted to do. Were um, you a
0: golfer a while in the Corps?
2: As much as I could. Um, I spent, uh, about five years overseas and I was deploying quite a bit, so I didn't get a chance to, to play as much as I, as I wanted. But, um, I knew when I got out that like, I had a lot of catching up to do, uh, and that's what I wanted to do.
0: Got it. So what yeah. brought you to D.C.? Uh,
2: so I got – my the, actually, the, the a couple of weeks into my senior year of college, I kind of got the proverbial, you know, offer you cannot refuse. Um, so some folks that I were, was connected to in my, my last job in the Corps in New York City um, had donated uh, $65 million to build this um, – Clinical Research Institute for Traumatic Brain Injury and Severe Post-Traumatic Stress at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Bethesda. Um, and um, they reached out to me and asked me to uh, throw my name in the ring to to run the communications for, for, for this facility. So I did, and I was selected, and um, this was, you know, 2010, the economy was was. was awful, uh, housing crisis. And, um, I was making, I think nine bucks an hour working at Scioto Country Club in Columbus, Ohio, and, uh, you know, picking range balls and trying to learn the business and, um, and, uh, you know, kind of, uh, standing alongside a top 100 teacher there by the name of Don Sargent, um, who is, uh, you know, was, was a great friend of mine and mentor. Uh, but I just, I had a wife, I had a daughter and I was 30 and I couldn't make nine bucks an hour and, uh, and there was kind of no end in sight. So I took this position to come here and got out of the golf business, but clearly have sort of gravitated back towards it and tried to, you know, remain as involved as I can and meeting Brian through, you know, my article, uh, that I wrote about Laurel Hill in the golfer's journal, um, you know, has led to just, you know, not only a great friendship with Brian, but, um you know, sort of getting back into that community.
0: Sure. So let's um, appreciate that background. So let's get to kind of Laurel Hill and you just kind of touched on how you, you wrote an article about the golf course here and that kind of yeah. uh, brought you guys together. Um, so so, so back, you, give us the, the, the timeline again. Laurel Hill opened up when?
1: We built it 2004 into 2005. So it opened at the end of 2005. The clubhouse wasn't done yet. They were operating out of a trailer. Um, but nonetheless, we opened.
0: What did the? Well, let me uh, even me. I skipped a part. Let me go back even a little further. When you started work here, because um, you've touched on it a little bit. Josh wrote this this great article in what issue of the Golfer Journal?
2: Uh, volume
0: five. Volume five. Yep. And it goes really into the the, uh, the history of this right. site. Right. And so it's it's pretty well documented. I think most folks were aware of the old prison. Yeah. The Lorton prison that was yeah. here. That was the DC prison, right? That. that
2: yeah, was it was, wait, it was wait, a, wait. a federal penitentiary. Yeah, federal
0: penitentiary. Yep. But I, what I didn't know that I learned in your article was the history about it being um a Nike missile site.
2: Oh man, it's extraordinary. I mean, and it goes it, there's so there's so much more. I mean, you know, it goes back to there are I mean actual connections here to the Revolutionary War. Uh you know, Major William Lindsay was the aide-de-camp to General Washington. Um, and he owned the property here at laurel hill the name laurel hill comes from william Lindsay's family um, in either ireland or scotland i mean that that's where the name laurel hill comes from Um, so there you know you know there was a a union encampment here during the civil war Um, you know president teddy roosevelt sort of you know had this very progressive idea of this open air sort of prison without walls where
0: um, they're more that, working than, than sitting, yeah, it, in a, yeah. sitting in a cell. That, it,
2: it, was a, it was a work camp. It was an agricultural prison. I mean, the prisoners, you know, they tilled the fields. They, they milked the cows. They tended the hogs. They, you know, they, they worked the kilns that, that, you know, produce all the bricks uh, that are here. And, you know, it was that way for a long time. I mean, they had, um, you know, the, there was a, a massive overcrowding problem in the prisons in downtown Washington, D.C., And he saw it firsthand and he said, you know, classic Teddy Roosevelt, he said, you know, what these guys need is access to fresh air Mm -hmm. and sunlight and a hard day's work. Uh, So they bought this 1100 acre plot, which is, you know, in this kind of like at the time was kind of Virginia horse country, this very sort of bucolic setting. Um, And you had to actually take a barge from Washington, D.C. to get down here. Uh, down in through the Occoquan and over here. And that's how the first prisoners... The water
0: gets that close to this Yeah,
2: river. yeah. That's, the prisoners, that was how the first prisoners actually got to here. And uh, somewhat unbelievably, the prisoners actually built this prison. I mean, they that's wild. the prisoners built their own prison, which yeah. is kind of wild.
0: That's um, when, I, when I was a yeah. kid growing up in this area, you know, there was it, Lorton Prison was more just like... You'd hear stories of war. Yeah. Like I was, <laughs> I was a suburban kid from Montgomery County. And, yeah, you know, that's how they you know, they'd scare you about you know, yeah, staying too late on the on the streets of D.C. on a Friday night that you know you get picked up and get thrown in Lorton prison. Well,
2: you know, and that's what was so somewhat ironic about this 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 place and about the prison is that it was intentionally designed to not be that right. It was intentionally designed to be this very progressive place where you. You you don't just throw people in a cell and sort of lock them away and for however many years and then they get out one day. Um, but ultimately, that's what it became. Uh, and it became a very violent, very drug-infested uh, place to be. And no longer did prisoners come here to learn a trade or learn a skill. They simply tried to just learn how to survive. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know towards the end of it, there, there was one, I'm going to kick myself for not remembering his name, but he was a kind of notorious drug dealer mm-hmm. uh, in the D.C. area that famously was connected yep. to Len Bias' death. Oh. And, and his name is escaping me, and I'm going to kick myself for not looking it up before we recorded this. Yeah. Uh, but I know he was one of the more famous guys to to, to be there. towards well, you know, the end there.
2: when I wrote my article, I interviewed the, one of the former wardens, and one of the things that he said to me that really stuck with me was, he said it was such a violent, dangerous place. He said, you know, the old idiom was, you know, it was, uh, it was worse. Uh, what did he say? It was, you, you're better be better to be caught with a knife mm-hmm. than without one. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <That> <laughs> Which, was just saying something. I'm sure, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. Uh, so so so. Okay, hey, Brian. We, we kind of cut you off there before when we're when you when we got into like now you you guys are on site you know you you and bill get hired to to turn this into a golf course by fairfax county episode?
1: indirectly yes uh the prison closed i believe in 2001 mm-hmm. uh, we actually got a tour of it in 2002 and it seemed like I had closed 30 years before. I, I, at the time, when I, when I had the tour, I didn't know when it had closed. And it was just decrepit. There's no okay. pain. I mean, it was really
0: awful. How much it's like, no, the, it was open a year ago. How much did the, the actual prison property encroach on what yeah. the court, like for people that have played All the course? All of it. So what happened was, there,
1: I think there's some 2,000 acres here, maybe even 2,500. That's not just this prison, but uh, the Occoquan prison, which is, I believe, a, a woman's prison. Um, and all this were the the sites where the schools are on the other side of the property here. It was this massive redevelopment project that Fairfax County, they bought the land from the prison and the rest of this land. So the golf course was just one piece of it. So we were actually on a, t- on a team with a developer. You know, it's just that one part. So, you know, that developer was, were the ones who were hired to develop the schools, redevelop the prison, who have been doing all this work. Uh, but the prison, to answer your question, this was their... You know they they farmed this area. This these this was a lot of not just agricultural fields. They had a, a the 15th hole. There was a big shooting range in there where the guards would train. Yep. Um, there were the
0: 15th hole, the big uphill par 5. Right, that
1: used to be just a big pit. We probably made it. Well, we hauled out a bunch of lead first of all, but really? then we probably made about a 10, 12 foot fill in there just to fill in that that shooting range. Um, so it's definitely a, a rather large, multifaceted adaptive reuse project that the golf course was just a piece of but so what did when, the land
0: actually look so was it just crops or I mean, what, no, it, what looked, it looked like when, when you
1: well shot? we put it this way we we cleared almost no trees we cleared a few trees at one green and a little bit back in 15t but the rest of it was like this so it was all just um it's nice and lush now but but normally at this time <laughs> of year everything's kind of browned out and burned out with the with the broom sedge and, and all these out-of-play areas and it's it's got that golden you know, dry mid-Atlantic summer feel to it. Um, so we didn't do a whole lot. We didn't move a lot of dirt out here. We didn't cut very many trees down, like I said. Um, it was begging for a golf course. There are, there are no shortage of resource protection areas and wetlands and other sensitive areas that we had to work around, but with over 300 acres of land to work with, you know, we, we found enough to, to find 18 wonderful golf holes.
0: And so the routing of the 18 wonderful golf holes, um, that was you and Bill?
1: right and you know like any other course you end up with a stack of a hundred designs before you find the one that that you move forward with and that's just the design process like anything else um i actually recently when we were moving out of our office last year stumbled upon the original routing plans and there are a lot
0: of really good
1: holes that did not get built out here that it's it's a shame they didn't get i mean i'm perfectly satisfied of course with the 18 that that what we is, that, up what with, is that but,
0: process like? Like, I'm, would, I would, I'm, I'm picturing as you're saying this, you know, you've got a hundred different kind of potential holes. Maybe like a few different like main routings. Like we could go this way, we could go that. Right. Way. Like, how do you whittle that down?
1: Well, it always starts with the clubhouse. So we knew the clubhouse was going to be here. It's the high ground. Uh, This is where the control center was for the Nike missile sites, where the red telephone was, where the button was, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, Yeah, right around here, the clubhouse and the parking were where those operations were. When I read your
0: article, I I took it from um, one of the holes, like number seven seven That's where the missiles were.
1: So the control area was up here. So where
2: where the missiles were housed and where the command center was were two different places. Right. right, And
1: when we were building that third hole, there are a lot of interesting stories about the building of this place. But when we were building the third hole over there, it was one of the few holes, because it's a long uphill par four, as you know. It had a little bit of a, the natural land had a little bit of a crease right in the landing area. So just to get visibility, you know, we had to cut that a little bit. We probably made a six or eight foot cut in there. One of the few places out here, we actually moved a little bit of dirt and we uncovered tunnels. <laughs> and nobody had the balls to go in them. <laughs> but, you know, there, there were tunnels. So it seemed to me that the conclusion we all made was it was the connection between the missile facility and, and the control facility versus some sort of escape tunnels for the yeah, yeah. for the prisoners. Yeah but
0: I wonder, I'm sure a prisoner or two might have happened upon at one point maybe <laughs> yeah maybe uh, well I mean
2: you know even you know even in the in the in the 90s it, it wasn't uncommon for them to have you know 60 70 80 escapes prison escapes every year really? from here um, so you know, one of the one of the I'd imagine th- I had a
0: working farm. everybody's yeah. outside
2: all day, as opposed to being locked mm-hmm. in a well, cell. That well, there there was, was a maximum security way. element of this prison that sure. was here, but there was also a medium security element of it too. But there was also
1: a lot of rumors of corrupt guards and so oh, forth yeah. too. So <laughs> you Absolutely. know, a little turn of your back and uh, oh, <laughs> Stevie's gone.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, he wasn't a very hard worker, anyways. We will let him go
0: um so so you you guys you guys come up with the routing well yeah to Uh, finish
1: to finish that um so you start with the clubhouse and you kind of work from there you got to have your starting and finishing holes you know when when you get into private clubs you can you're playing by a little different set of rules when you have a public municipally owned golf course like this you know you have to accommodate everybody you're only going to have so much of an operating budget and and so forth so you have to really constrain yourself know from an architect's perspective in that regard but but about the
0: fact that it was also you know you're being hired essentially by a municipality i would imagine there's even more constraints than a private owner whether it be a a daily fee or or, or country club or something but Mm -hmm. a municipality and bureaucracy that uh generally comes along with i mean there's a lot
1: of of, uh, extra paperwork and and i was going to say layers of approval but you know you work at the top echelon private clubs and that's probably the most layers of approval you have to go through. So they, they for the most part, they kind of cut us it, loose. Okay, they I were, they asked, were. Did they yeah. have any like specific asks? No, and, they, and and they didn't. You know, they weren't critiquing our work as we were going along. They were just waiting for for the plan to show up. So after we worked through the routing, and actually midway through the routing. Because of all these constraints, it's not just the environmentally sensitive areas, but there are a lot of steep slopes out here. You know, just a lot of areas where we didn't necessarily want to get into because it would have destroyed the the natural environment more than, than we wanted to. Um, I think it's always important that golf and nature coexist sure. and, and work together. It's not, you know, when you look out, you should see nature and then you should see the golf holes versus... You know, like we all saw at Whistling Straits in the Ryder Cup, you see the golf first, and then you start to go blind. Um, so you're working through the routings, and because of those constraints, the, where the 5th hole and 6th hole are right now wasn't part of the original property we had to work with. So we had where the area where 3, 4, and 7 are, but we didn't have 5 and 6. And what happened was our original—
0: So 5th is, so is the par 5 that kind of curves around. Right, right. The and then 6 okay. is the long—so the okay, two yep. parallel
1: holes going back and forth, yep. um, and a couple of dozen acres out there. So, so that
0: wasn't part of the original? It wasn't pro- part of the
1: original land that Bill and I had to work with. So you look at our original routings, and we crossed Giles Run, the main stream that bisects the property. Okay. We crossed that four times in our original routing, or all of our original routings. And the county came back to us and said, no, it's too sensitive because of a tree clearing issue. We could only cross it twice. So we looked at it and really discovered, all right, if you want to accomplish all of your goals, if you want... A flagship championship golf course. Because remember, Fairfax County Park Authority—they own, you know, about eight golf courses, eight or nine golf courses. So they wanted a real, true flagship, mm-hmm. yeah. and something that was not just going to be their premier facility in their portfolio of golf courses, but something that truly was going to be a model for municipal golf across the country. And I think we, you know, realized some tremendous success in that regard. I so think you guys
0: designed a course from scratch at that point.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah Bill's done a number of courses in, in his career. Um, and we had just wrapped up right around that time. We were wrapping up one in Pennsylvania, one in Harrisonburg, Virginia, okay. one in Richmond, Virginia. Um, so we went back to them and said, look, if you want to accomplish these goals, we need a little bit more property. You know, sure. if we can only cross Giles run twice, we need some more land. And because, you know, again, it's a few thousand acres to work with, you know, they uh, they gave it to us pretty, <laughs> pretty easily. And it, and it and it was a real kind of game changer. It allowed us to stretch the course out a little bit more and spread it out more. Um, and, I bet and utilize that's more of the property.
0: In a, in a, in a oh day. no,
1: question. And and the way five <laughs> and six sit on that ground, we moved barely any dirt out there. Yeah, yeah. You know, 5's, the landing area. Five is not ideally what we would want it's 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 good it's a nice plateaued landing area but then it falls off and the reason for that we would have graded a little bit differently but there's a massive water line that goes through there so things like that you're always fighting constraints like that there's another water i mean it goes through the whole property so it goes through the front of 10t and and over there so things like that you have to mitigate that stream that crosses five you know we could only pipe so many streams out here when you're dealing with public golf a lot of a lot of older folks a lot of juniors you're always thinking about playability and getting those folks around the golf course and you build demand carries and do it left and right and you're just going to have a problem you know so
0: was was the county's goal you you know when they hired you guys that that, you know we we want to host USGA events for example
1: well we actually specifically tarred before we moved a shovel full of dirt out here we were eyeing the public links that was and that came from from Bill and I that was you know something that that we we knew what that tournament was all about. They they seek golf courses like this, and we set that as a goal, and we achieved it. Public Links was here in 2013.
2: Yeah, I, I remember when I interviewed Bill and Brian for the Golfers Journal article. The very one of the first things that we sort of talked about there was that Bill Bill was very clear that the county wanted a championship level golf course. They did not just want kind of another run of the mill mm-hmm. muni, um, and both of them sort of targeted that USGA Public Links and. And that was the sort of, you know, that was the finish line. Um, And to get there and the way that they did was pretty extraordinary.
1: Right. And and early on, I mean, this place, I'm not sure where it is now. I don't, I, I, you know, I take ratings with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. um, There's a lot of BS behind them. But, you know, this was a top 10 municipal course. For a while, for as long yeah. as I can remember, yeah, and when yeah. you think when you start think, oh, okay, but you start to think about what else is on that list. Beth Blade black, yeah. you know, Tory Chambers Pines. Bay, Torrey Pines. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, it's a pretty it's a pretty exclusive list, and including a bunch of U.S. Open venues.
0: For folks that that don't know, because the the U.S. Publix is not around anymore, unfortunately. What, what what is the U.S. Publix? The
1: the Public Links was the peak amateur tournament, and the reason it kind of went by the wayside is originally the rules were you couldn't be a member. a member of a private club but so it just ended up being the collegiate tournament every year the top college players would win it every year including <laughs> including here yeah. the two guys who played in the final match are both on tour right now yeah. um so that's kind of why i went Is by the right? wayside who,
0: the, who those two are um yep yep wow yep. do you remember what the course played at what yardage that for that tournament
1: I'm not sure. I, remember,
0: I, didn't, I wanted to come out. I didn't make yeah, it, but, but I they, hearing some stories. Well,
1: there's a there. few interesting bits about that tournament. They, they, they changed it up from day to day. I don't know what it was for that final match, but, you know, like the fifth hole, for instance, they played it as a par They moved the tees up a little bit played it as a par four instead of a par five.
0: But a monster par four. Monster,
1: monster. par four, but <laughs> yeah. both of those guys hit three or four iron for their second shot and both made birdie, yeah. which is an eagle. Yeah.
2: I mean,
1: <laughs> <laughs> That it was Bro, a great they, final match. Both made the
2: eagle to have the hole to come
1: down to the yeah. 18th hole, which is a gambling, you know, par five as well, and I mean, the, the classic that
0: green on number five with a four iron. I mean, that's yeah. not a deep green. No. I mean, it's deep if you look at from that well, way, but from yeah. that Not out. only that,
1: but it's all carry. I mean, yeah. if you're trying to get if you if you're playing a second shot and then your third in, yeah. it's it's relatively open. But if you're trying to get the green in two, it's all carry over a massive sand bunker. Yeah. So it was, and it's a terraced green. I mean, yeah. both of those guys. It was. There's a reason they're both on tour yeah. now. There's a reason yeah. they they you know, we're the U.S. amateur yeah. champion and, you know, so forth and so on. So that's unfortunately why it went by the wayside is it just got taken over by those top college, yeah. right. you know, players. So it was replaced by the by the amateur four ball, which I think is also a good tournament. Yeah. Um,
0: um, Josh, when did you uh, kind of get the notion to write the article that you did in the history yeah. of Laurel Hill?
2: You know, I, I'd come out here and, and played a handful of times and and really enjoyed the golf course and i'm a kind of a history nerd so um uh, i had just sort of started digging into the sort of the history of this place on my own just because i was curious and you know that's one of the things that is really really cool and unique about this place specifically is, you know, I walk when I play. And so I, you know, you tend to see things on the golf course walking that you may not see if you're following a cart path. Um, And some of the things that you'll see out here are these great signs that the county put up that sort of explain the history uh, of the place to you. So, you know, if you've ever been to like Philadelphia or down in DC or wherever it is, you know, you see, you see those signs that are like posted outside of monuments. Like I'm the guy that stops and reads the sign, (laughs) right? Like, you know, my wife gets super frustrated. Like I read every word, Uh, but I'm that way. And so out here you see these great, these, these signs that are up that it's almost like you're in a historical park. Um, and it really piqued my interest you know i read about the nike missile site i read about the women's suffrage movement you know, event that happened here uh, in the prison and i just started digging into it and um
0: did you have the idea let me ask you a yeah. let me ask you in a different way yeah did you have the idea for the article before the golfer's journal existed or or the golfer's <laughs> journal which is a really
2: cool yeah
0: publication once that came out you started to the wheels started turning and said this would be a great publication for a story on Laurel. It Earth. was a
2: little bit of both. So like I'm I, I do yeah. some work with Link Soul. Uh, Link Soul happens yeah. to be one of the 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 founding sort of partners of the Golfers Journal. Yeah. Um, Take this
0: opportunity as, as you yeah. as you answer this to talk about your
2: relationship <laughs> with Link Soul. Yeah, so um, so I, I do some advising for Link soul uh, specifically on their military oh, and right. veterans engagement uh, and their sort of charity work that they do.
0: Link soul has slowly taken over my wardrobe. <laughs> I'm, I'm wearing a Link Soul shirt. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah,
2: yeah, me too. So and, and the,
0: uh, the owner of Link or the founder of LinkSoul,
2: Yeah, John Ashworth. John Ashworth and, and Jeff Cunningham, oh. uh, who is his nef- nephew. So of course John was the founder of Ashworth Golf, uh, which was. huge huge in the in the late 80s and early 90s you know freddie couples and ernie l's and and all these guys tiger wore it when he was an amateur um uh john soul ended up selling that and then years later he and jeff uh founded link soul uh they're based out of southern california it's a very cool sort of like beach golf chill you know it's not a golf uniform it's kind of so, you know transitions from yep. the golf course to like you can you know, where to work if, uh, if you want. Um, but, so you were connected
0: with them yeah. prior to... Oh, yeah,
2: yeah, got it. yeah. Yeah, pri- prior to that, uh, prior to the Golf Journal, Golfers Journal even existing. Uh, but once wow. Golfers Journal started... How did you get and,
0: connected with LinkSol? Um,
2: so I, j- I don't know. Somehow I, I started getting their catalogs in my mailbox uh, at home. Um, <laughs> and, Maybe you
0: subscribed to Ashworth. I don't know <laughs> what it
2: was, but it started just showing up. Um, you know, everybody gets catalogs, and you're like, "How? Do, I never signed up for this. How did I get this?" Sure. Um, but it started showing up. And I, my two years in, in the Marine Corps, I was stationed in San Diego, and I lived on Mission Beach. Uh, I was stationed at Marine Corps Air Station Miramar, and so that like beach vibe mm-hmm. really resonated with me. Sure. Um, but and then the Gulf aspect of it was like, "Wow, this is like too good to be true, right?" And then the, and then the clothes were. Did did Link Soul
0: have any kind of military connection at all? They didn't.
2: So, you know, I, I reached out to them and I just said, look, I love what you guys are doing. Like, I know you're West Coast, but to the extent you ever have anything going on on the East Coast, I'd be happy to help you out. You know, never expected a response in any way. The next day, Johnny Ashworth emailed me directly. And he said, hey, I got your note. Thank you so much. I shared it with my entire team. You really inspired us and motivated us. Oh by the way <laughs> we've been trying to identify a military related nonprofit to donate some money to. Um, can you help us uh, so that you know the relationship really started organically like that um, and seeming like, like like all the best relationships do. Um, and so yeah, I, I started working with them, and, you know, one thing led to another, and we started doing other projects. And, you know, now they donate 10% of their proceeds from their Make Par Not War line to military-related charities, uh, including one that is very close to my heart uh, called Warrior Canine Connection, yeah. uh, which raises and trains service dogs that are donated to, to disabled veterans and veterans in need.
0: And you can find um, uh, a lot of that information, in, in, including including your... Your smiling face yeah.
2: on their on their website. Yeah, non-profit. on, on linksol dot <laughs> uh, You you can find that story and anything that you you buy with a "Make Par Not War" sort of slogan or logo on it. Go, you know, uh, portions of the proceeds go to military nonprofits. But so that relationship kind of organically led me to like, wow. I was like, you know what? I've got this this great story idea of Laurel Hill. I think the Golfers' Journal. They're sort of long form, commercially quiet. You know, beautiful photography. Um I think that's kind of the right platform for this story because this is not something you're gonna see in Golf Digest or right. or Golf Magazine and I'm not knocking them in that way. They have their 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 segment and their audience that they're looking for, but this is not a how to hit hit it ten yards further story. Sure. Or this is not the new equipment you should buy yeah. story. Like this is this is history and this is architecture and yeah. um so I just thought it was a great platform, and I reached out to Jeff, and I said, I've got this story. Can you ke- connect me with you know, the, the publisher of Golfer's Journal, Brendan Thomas, um, and Travis Hill, um, who's the editor? And they did, and I pitched it to them, and they loved it, and they, they sent me on my way.
0: And so during, during the research for that article, you interviewed.
2: Yeah, I did. So that's why I first, I first met Brian. You um, interviewed Brian
0: and Bill together yep. or separate?
2: Or? I interviewed Brian and Bill together. Uh, the very first question I asked them was, who is the asshole that put the bunker on three? Uh it was Bill?
0: <laughs> right, which is right in the middle of Fairway. Yeah, I've, I've never been, been in the it. Hardest park yeah. horse
1: I aim for it every time I've play. ever been in it.
2: Yeah, there is a. Uh,
0: it's okay, about the I, size of this table. I to say I don't think I've ever been in it. I mean,
1: <laughs> you aim for it. You're guaranteed there, not to go and, in it. Stevie hole. doesn't have the yardage to
0: get to it. Uh, but. The way that course that yeah. that hole is set up, it kind of it, yeah. mentally it kind of makes you swing out of your shoes, which yeah, it does. makes me usually go short. That little. is such a great hole. That's the
2: brilliance of the hole, right? That it's visually intimidating, but like as a as a practical matter, it normally doesn't come into play. I love what people um, pitch about that <laughs> hole. I love it. It's an absolute great hole. Um, but uh yeah, so I interviewed them and got some great, you know, historical perspective on it and sort of got inside their head as to their their process and choices that they architectural choices that they were making here, which was great. Um, I came here uh to Laurel Hill and I interviewed uh the GM, Ryan Carmen, and then uh, the director of golf at the time, um, and sort of got their perspective of like you know what's it like today, and, yeah. and their the you know the the pieces that they could add. So, I sat down with a former warden of the prison. I took a okay. tour of the prison with the, the development group that was doing the renovation and. I spent many, many hours um, at the Fairfax County Public Library researching. Um, I went down to the National Archives and got a bunch of stuff. You put some real elbow
0: grease in the I did,
2: you know, like it was important to me to to get it right Um, and talk to all the people that, you know, that that deserve to have a voice in that story. When did the
0: two of you start playing golf guys?
2: Shortly Almost after that, as soon as he
0: walked into my office, I realized that oh, this
1: guy's going to be easy to get some money off of. <laughs> he doesn't have the mental game to keep up. So.
2: It still hasn't happened. He's actually never beaten me ever.
1: Uh, you're always throwing drinks in in my direction. <laughs> That's
2: another story. I
0: have not. I've played with Josh. I've not played with you, Brian. But Josh has told me that you're 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 a riot to, to play with.
1: But yeah, we we, well, we started playing immediately. I mean, Stevie and I we. We see eye to eye on just about everything, if not everything, related to golf. Mm-hmm. Just and and I don't think I can say that about too many other people that I've met. I mean, we're just totally on the same page about everything. Um, I don't know if we're progressive or traditionalists, yeah. maybe a little mixture a little of about, both. Yeah. You know, as I my my favorite thing to say is, golf is about what happens in between shots more than anything else you know the the fact that you know like shooting pool or or playing cards or whatever the activity that's going on in the background to me is secondary to just being out in nature getting some recreation having some laughs whether it's with close friends or total strangers that you just happen to get get paired with that day I mean to me that's that's really what, what golf is all about, is all the other stuff that's kind of going, going on at the same time, the the health and the recreational side of things, the social side of things, the nature side of things. Right. And the fact that you're just knocking a little white ball around in, in the, once in a while is, yeah. you know, it's great. But to me, that's that's, that's less than than the bigger picture of, of what you're actually doing and why you're out there.
0: Well, cheers to that. I mean, I, I, was, I, I couldn't agree with Anything you just said anymore? I, I, I'm, on, I'm on the same page there. Let let, let let's talk a bit now. Now we'll kind of go all over the place. Like yep. what, what's what's going on these days? So you guys are both kind of you know get different um, projects and passions going on, Brian. So you mentioned it earlier. Uh, you're no longer in the DC area, correct? Bill Love is retired. You essentially took over the firm and uh, fled fled the Beltway.
1: Couldn't flee fast enough. Couldn't pack my bags fast enough.
0: You had had, had enough of 495 traffic and uh, the rat race, and you're out in uh, the mountains of Nevada. Uh,
1: Yeah, I had enough of Washington, D.C. about 15 years ago and couldn't wait to move out west.
0: That doesn't jive with the theme of this podcast. (laughs) Well, well, I mean, I got got very
1: fortunate to to hook up with Bill Love. Uh, I will put the work he and I have done up against anybody. He is a true practitioner, a true professional, um, I, I wouldn't have wanted to learn this business from anyone else. You know, I, I had some other opportunities to leave and and go to, you know, maybe some more well-known firms at various points in my career. And, and I made the decision not to because I was getting way more opportunity with Bill. I mean, he really cut me loose. He, he recognized my passion and, and, you know, my talent, certainly. Um, so, you know, I didn't see... You know, as any other opportunity is better, even though in my mind, before I got into the business, I'm thinking, this is going to be great. I'm going to design golf courses in the Caribbean and in Europe and all over the world. And this is going to be awesome. And it doesn't quite work out that way. It ends up being almost all renovation work, of course.
0: What's the future of your firm? So now yeah, you, you've told me, you know, before we I, I follow you on social media. I've seen you do some work recently in, I think, Mexico and in right. Southern, Southern California. So my plan you know, was
1: always to move to the mountains. I'm an outdoor guy. I'm a big skier. The project you're referencing down in, in Mexico was a project we wrapped up, uh, arguably the top club in Mexico, Club Compestre, Monterey. Uh, been there for a while. It's 27 holes right in the middle of the city in Monterey, which is about an hour from Texas. It's inland. It's the inland city and just high-end, high-end, high-end That's club. the
0: demographic that listens to this podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, but that, that's just it, you know. And, and, and I've plan. been in Washington, D.C. all week for the exact opposite, for, for you know, public golf courses that are very affordable and, and accommodate older folks and juniors and so forth. So, you know, as a golf architect, you're always spanning that spectrum. I guess maybe not everybody, We we have. Sure. And just like, you know, working at the Olympic Club for 20 years in San Francisco, when you work at those high-end clubs... Um, you know, you, you got a little extra money to work with, you can design stuff that you're not worried about having them maintain, you know, you have a lot more flexibility than a course like Laurel Hill where we couldn't do crazy bunkering and, and you know, we couldn't get carried away and from an architectural standpoint, you have to keep it very, very maintainable, very accessible, very playable. But when you get into higher-end private clubs, especially when they have multiple courses like this one in Mexico or like the Olympic Club, you know you can have you can have a lot more fun.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, You've you've touched on, uh, or at least off-camera, a couple projects. Even though you've moved uh, your operations out to the West Coast, Uh, I don't know if there's anything you can share on. You've mentioned a a big project you're working on in Southern Virginia or, or whereabouts.
1: It's about an hour west of Richmond. It's called the Golf Club at Foster's Farm. Uh, it's been a long time in in the works, but it's very high end, invitation only, very exclusive private club. We've got a thousand acres down there. The golf course sits on about 500 of those acres. There are 200. Compare that
0: to how many acres is Laurel Hill on?
1: Laurel Hill sits on 310, 315, something so like it's a that. Huge property it's massive it, I, I don't think there I can't think of a golf course that's stretched out and as spaced out as much as this one is you can fit you can't see other golf holes I mean, it's not built yet but the way it's designed you can't see other golf holes from whatever hole you're playing there are no houses there there are no schools there are no there's gonna be no golf car path the only thing you're gonna see on it on any given hole is nature and the hole that you're playing so you know this, this is great I mean the land is perfect it's, it's massive, it is per- that perfect, I mean, look at the, what Laurel Hill sits on here. It's got this really nice roll. There's, there's lakes, there's streams, there's nice trees. It is this on steroids. There are holes that have 45 feet of elevation change in them, but you know, it's gonna be walkable, it's gonna be playable. It's, it's not gonna have to move a lot of dirt. I, I can't.
0: Where, where are you in the, in the, where is the project? In the We're project? about to
1: break ground. We're about to start clearing the trees uh, within a matter of weeks and I'll be shaping golf holes if all goes as planned, uh, probably by the beginning of November.
0: Is this for, for Kinlock members that are getting tired of Kinlock or what?
1: Well, it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, my, my client is a member at, at Kinlock, and Kinlock is, if you've never been to Kinlock, I have not. It is an experience in terms of customer service that's second to none. You get treated like an absolute king there, an absolute king. I mean, when you're playing and you want a drink, the caddy makes a phone call and a drink shows up. By the time you get to the Air degree. service, yeah. I mean, it is that. But the golf course, even though it's immaculate, it's just a golf course. Sure. There's nothing particularly, you know, unique or outstanding about the golf course, in my opinion. Um, so we're going to have that same level or higher level of customer service at this club. It's not too far from Kinlock, It's, you know, 45 minutes maybe from, from Kinlock. But with a golf course that I'm here to tell you right now is going to be as good as anything.
0: I have more a general question, like like so. It's so like a club like that, right? So how how does how do you get that how do you get that gig essentially? Like is this is this, I the, got lucky. It fell into my lap. Is this the rela- relationship <laughs> well, that you have made over the course of the years? Like how do, how do they find? No, I mean, Brian get, Kington?
1: getting work in this business is extremely difficult. Uh, a lot of it is word of mouth. A lot of it is repeat right. business. This particular case, uh, my client is a local guy to Washington D.C. His yeah. his family is from. Amelia County, where the golf course is. So the golf course actually sits on, um, you know, that, that's how the, the site started with a bunch of his family land who are longtime farmers, been there for generations in that part of Virginia. But he's a local guy here in D.C. So he he just walked into the office. And this was, you know, over 20 years ago when Bill laid out the first design. Um, so since Bill retired, the project has become mine, which is great. And, and once I get going, I'm, I'm really not going to do much other work, take on much other work, because I'm going to be there almost every day on site. I'm going to shape a lot of it myself. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's really going to take a massive amount of time it's a colossal project there's just there's a couple of miles of stream channels that need to be shaped you know think shadow creek um there's there's a half a mile of stone walls that need to be built you know it's it's a massive project there's a whole par three golf course you know the world's greatest driving we've got a driving range that's a giant bowl that's 400 yards across you can have a tee all the way around it you know play at any times of the day and and so forth so i got fortunate in that regard that that type
0: of club that's going to seek uh, big-time tournaments or just to no, super no, expensive? it is, yes, boy, exactly boy
1: can, uh... um, I, I, might, I might try and convince my client to let me run one event in there when we first opened just so, that's, that's in, all, that's all, all for selfish right now, reasons Alex,
2: might get an <laughs> that's all for selfish reasons,
1: but the first name on the membership list is Michael Jordan, and it goes from there it's all Hall of Famers and and high net worth individuals, a lot of investment bankers just a lot of very successful business people and, yeah. and that kind of thing, there are now Bruce Smith is a member, there, there are a number of of high-profile athletes and other guy, folks, I it. yeah. Um,
0: so <laughs> Got had a great well, golf swing. Let's go. Uh, just do the 180 of that. So now, so now back to municipal public. You guys touched on was this? this, this I, I think this would be brand new information to me because I haven't heard anything about it. But that there might be a, a short course coming here. There are go some ahead. rumors that yeah. that Kington <laughs> laid out a, a short course here at Laurel Hill.
2: Um, Whenever he starts talking about himself in the third person, you know you're <laughs> in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, you know, I've done a lot of work with Fairfax County
1: Park Authority because they've got a bunch of golf courses. In fact, that's why I'm all muddy. That's where I was this morning at another one of their golf courses, renovating some bunkers. Um, But they're great clients, and and they they understand that you need to grow or die. You need to invest in your facilities. You need to make those, even though they might take a lot of um, of guts when you're dealing with the public sector. and, And... you know, making a bad decision for some of those guys—they they understand the value of of making those necessary periodic capital investments in in all of their facilities. So they're constantly making upgrades. They're constantly doing what you should do in the golf business. What what nine out of ten owners and operators I think don't do, which is look more than ten year ten years into the future. And while they have a very successful portfolio of golf courses, you know, you always want to look at accommodating more people, bringing more people to your facilities. Getting on the front end of trends and, and protecting yourself so that you're going to be sustainable for, for the long term. And so I had actually been thinking about since we were building this golf course 15, 16 years ago when we were building the golf course, there's a piece of land to the right of hole number six up there, which is kind of vacant. And I had always envisioned that as a short course, and I'm not the only one. And then a couple of years ago, I got a call from Ryan, the, the manager here. And he had been talking to Rick, the superintendent, and a few other people. And they had they said, we've got an idea for a short course. I said, so do I.
0: <laughs> yeah, but they were you're thinking about like, a different piece you're of standing land. standing on sixteen, looking out towards the fairway, like kind of towards your left?
1: To the left, yeah. So yeah. there's a whole bunch of room in there, which I think is being, I've heard, has, has always been slated for uh, additional athletic fields, uh, which is fine. And, and when I got the call from the course here, they were looking at this property on the other side of the lake here on the opposite of 16, mm-hmm. which I hadn't. Considered in the past for a short course, but it, it, it's it's a great piece of property. It's not nearly as big as the piece of land to the left of six, but yeah. it's about thirteen and a half acres. And it's you don't
0: you don't run into more holes going that direction. No, yeah, yeah. yeah
1: there's so some, past the pump house them, there yeah. is nothing but nature
2: i mean you can see the way the land moves over there you can see the access to the water you can see the access to the views uh you know it's close to to one t to to nine green to 16 t i mean
1: well that's the thing because one t is is separated from the clubhouse you know it would be in close proximity to where the short course would start so looking at that hillside over there when we built the golf course we dredged this lake and scraped up clay out of that hillside to line the lake with. So that whole area from the lake all the way to the road was clear-cut and disturbed during construction, meaning that now, 15 years later, even though it looks like it's all wooded to us, that's all yeah. 15 years or less growth over, range, over there. Yeah. So there's no significant trees over there. There's yeah. nothing that's going to be a, a regulatory restriction or anything. It's it's just 13 and a half acres of very underutilized land right now. Yeah. So they, they saw that as, well, you know, we've got this land, and we've got already this wonderfully successful facility. It's got a first tee program here. Junior yeah. golf has a big presence here. You know, so we've laid out a short course that's about 700 yards, maybe a little bit longer than the cradle, you know, some of, some of the other short courses that are out there. But it, it'll accommodate juniors, but, you know, us, yeah. we can go out there and go around it five times and not get bored because yeah. we've got an opportunity there, to my point earlier about how, I really needed to behave myself when I was doing the architecture (laughs) out here. (laughs) I don't need to behave myself at all. We can build a bunch of waste bunkers that aren't going to take a lot of maintenance because you rake them once a week or whatever, you'll have no bunker rakes, let them play as waste areas. You know, Bermuda grass that just, the tees are the beginning of the fairway, no tee boxes, just very naturalized, almost, I hate to use the word Irish lynx because there's no such thing as lynx land in the United States, Um, contrary to what some people think. But it's going to have that kind of character, where it's where, where the nature encroaches onto the golf features, which you just can't do on on the big course like this because you just don't have the maintenance for it, and and you don't want to you don't want that pace of play liability.
0: So, you, so you're, the the way you're talking about this, it sounds like this is can we say this is happening or is it? Or is it no, that, that's, that's still a long, <laughs> it is, oh, still a long way to go.
1: It's likely to happen.
2: It's, all, it's but, on it's on
1: a good trajectory. Okay, but you know with yeah. with Fairfax County Park Authority. You know, they've, they've got a, they, don't, they own golf courses, they own rec centers, they own a bunch of assets. And, you know, of course, Laurel Hill is just one of them, you know. And, and when you get into funding and, you know, it's public sector, so a lot of it's funded with bonds and so forth. Those are on five-year cycles and so forth. So right now, you know, there's, there's some pretty good support behind it. But, you know, it's, we're not officially, I don't have a contract. I mean, we're not, we're not up and running quite yet, but there's definitely a lot of support behind it. Um, we put together a very elaborate, you know, document, written document that got into market analysis and financial analysis. And, and I think the whole point here is that this day and age, golf was certainly on a downward trajectory for a number of years. But as of about five years ago, it started on a pretty pronounced upswing. And I don't, every golf course from top private clubs and the strength of their membership and the, the size of their wait list and all, all the way down to the lowest struggling municipally owned golf course you know, rounds are up and, and golf has made this swing, made this upswing. COVID, as much as that fucked up the rest of the world, you know, it was the best thing that could possibly happen to golf. It, it took that already upswing and supercharged it. And, you know, even though courses were closed for a couple of months last year, they all made their nut back by the end of the summer. And, and, it, and it brought newer people into the game. It brought people who left back into the game. People who were already playing the game were playing more. You know, golf was one of the few things that people could do within all these other restrictions that were going on. So I think that taking advantage of not just that upswing, that general upswing in golf, but just this trend that's also been occurring during a similar timeline, which is getting away from 18-hole golf courses, which essentially eat up your entire day to play. So shrinking 18-hole golf courses down, building new nine-hole golf courses, short courses, uh, elaborate short game practice facilities with maybe some practice holes, big putting greens with putting courses, you know, looking at, alternative golf facilities that don't cost as much and maybe most importantly over anything else, don't take as much time to play. Yeah. You know, and I think that is a, one thing that, that Stevie and I see eye on and, and talked about this early on and in, in knowing each other is that, you know, there, there aren't these rules, you know, that you don't, you don't have to have 18 holes. You don't, you know, and, and you can do all these alternative ideas, whether it's uh, we were talking about Belmont earlier, which mm-hmm. reduced themselves, from 18 down to 12, and and did it right. I said, well, we've got we've got a couple of issues. We've got some tight holes. We've got some dog holes. We got all these great holes. Let's keep the great holes and let's build in some alternative facilities in here.
0: Are you starting to see um, like one of the first times Josh and I ever played uh, here? I remember mm-hmm. we played we played the front nine. Oh, I don't know, at least five years ago. Yeah, but you had just gotten. I was. I I, I still. Gosh, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I still haven't made it to Sweetens Cove. I've, ah. I've been planning on getting there for, like, forever. Yeah. But that, that... I was aware of it at the time, but you had just gotten back from sure. Sweetens yeah. Cove. Sweetens Cove um, is, is one of many, but it's almost, like, on the forefront of kind yeah. of what you're talking about. And yep. it's like... It's not really near any major metropolitan centers. It's kind of in the, the middle of nowhere. It, yeah. it's, it's not 18 holes. I mean, it's still nine, but it, it's it's a little unorthodox. Well,
2: Brian and I went there together. A couple times, And, um, you know, we got to know Rob Collins, the architect, really well, and um, and, and the guys uh, like Patrick Boyd that were sort of, you know, uh, that partnered on that project. And, you know, Brian and I have done a lot of traveling together, and it's sort of seeing these places for yourself Right. Walking the land, uh, talking to the people that that were responsible for those places and um, that, you know, it, it, all, all of those little pieces, I feel like end up sort of shaping who you are, like as an individual and as a professional. And um, and you can see how, um, you know, how Rob was influenced by Mike Strance and his work sure. um, and and. And, you know, uh, the many great architects in courses that Brian has had a privilege to work at that have sort of influenced him and helped sure. sort of shape his eye. And Sweetens is that way. And you can, so I think you can sort of see how Sweetens has the ripple effect. Well, it's also interesting yeah. about
0: Sweetens, I mean, I'm, I'm very well familiar with, yeah. with this whole story, even though I've never been there, but is that Sweetens was open for several years before yeah. the public really outside of mm-hmm. the immediate uh, surrounding yep. area in Tennessee caught wind of it. And yeah. now it's like unbelievably well. Popular. It was, I went on to be the beginning of this year to try to get a tee time. Yeah, and you, couldn't, you, you couldn't do it. Yeah. And even though he's selling like all day yeah. packages, And I know that Rob Collins and his group, they've gotten yeah. some other probably one of upstate New York and yeah. land Nebraska, in Nebraska. Yeah. But I'm always curious for the, for the both of you because I, I know, you know, Josh, you're kind of a, a golf course architecture mm-hmm. aficionado and, and good golf course aficionado at this yeah. point. And, and, and you're obviously in the business in the business. But I'm curious, like, because of Sweeten's Cove, mm-hmm. Sweeten's Sweeten's Cove success and popularity, yeah. are you starting as the industry caught up, or other people, other developers, people with money are saying, this is what we need to build? Let's, well, let's I
2: want to hear like Brian's, like you know, the professional piece of this, but kind <laughs> of like the 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 um, you know my side of it as sort of not being in the industry and sort of being an observer. Yeah. In my opinion is, I think what Sweetens Cove did, that New York Times article really brought them into the the, the, the focus of the general public. That is what put them on the map. And Rob will tell you that. Uh, Patrick will tell you that. Um, and it, it introduced that golf course and then, by extension, their model to the country. And, and people now travel from all over. To South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, uh, which there is absolutely nothing there. Nope. No <laughs> place to eat. <laughs> yeah. Best nachos he, in Tennessee. You follow their social media, like uh, the Manning brothers are playing yeah. there. I mean,
0: there's like celebrities it's, are playing it's there. It's incredible. And, and, and again, you
2: can't get it well, You can't you get it tea, time, get a tea time, time. But like, I think what that place did more than anything is it, is, is oh. it, it provided a proof source. It provided a proof source to the rest of the industry that, like, these ideas that folks may have had before that, like, that, that wasn't a new concept. Sure. I, I just don't it proved think. Proved I, I think it proved it. And, and, and it did it in a very public way. And I think it, guys like Brian and Bill and other great architects that have sort of wanted to do this thing for a long time. Now can point to something yeah. that, that was just sort of an overwhelming success. And that's my, kind of my question for Brian,
0: yeah. is are you starting to see that from the, the people that traditionally have money and back these sort of projects, are they starting to see it's like, oh wait, Sweden's Cove, like, I, I, I don't know the details around this, but imagine it's like probably a less expensive piece of land, and that people can now look at places that traditionally be like, yeah. you know, I don't want to invest there, it's like three hours from anything. Yeah. And now they're starting to see, well wait a second, if you build it, they will come.
2: Yep. Destination Golf.
1: The thing about Sweden's, <laughs>
0: <laughs> what?
2: <laughs> here we go. I love it. We had an absolutely epic time at Sweden, so I'll, I'll let Brian take it away. I mean, here. I don't. I
1: like Sweden's a lot. I, I think I don't think they reinvented anything, um, but taking I think I think what they did is going to be a lot of the future of golf development, which, in, in other words, taking a course that already exists, that is kind of boring, kind of mundane, old, whatever, and just rebuilding into something spectacular versus taking a new piece of land and all the challenges that come with that, permitting challenges, perhaps rezoning challenges, tree removal challenges, all those challenges that you can, you're already grandfathered in if you're just taking an existing golf course and rebuilding mm-hmm. it and making far better tees, far better sand bunkers, and far better greens. And I think that's what Sweeten's accomplished. You know, all, all it is, at least common denominator of is it was an existing nine-hole golf course that was built into a new nine-hole golf course. You know, that's really all it is with the big missing piece of, it's a f- fabulous use of architecture. and And I think it proves the point that there's a lot of very amateur architecture that is out there and has always been out there. I think Donald Ross is the most overrated architect to ever live. I think his work Hey-o. is boring, Take a look. boring, 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 <laughs> boring. And I'm from New England. I've played, you know, I've played proper Donald Ross golf courses. I'm still waiting for somebody to tell me how he managed to build 227 golf courses in the 1920s when you can only get around by train. But the point is, it's like a restaurant. People say, well, it's about location, it's about location, it's about location. Well, bullshit. Bullshit on that. If you have great food, you will have a successful restaurant. It doesn't matter where your location is. They will find you. And I think the same Are thing with... Are you
0: suggesting Donald Ross was like a modern-day celebrity chef? Just no, just I think Donald Ross whatever. is a modern-day Subway. Or,
1: <laughs> the point is, is just like my comparison to the restaurants, if you have an exceptional chef who's producing exceptional food, you're going to have an exceptional restaurant. And if you have exceptional architecture people will come to find it even if you are in the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. virginia or the middle of nowhere in south pittsburgh tennessee you know and that's what that is it's 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 different it's 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 on the cutting edge of 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 architecture i mean rob didn't do anything that that you know some other architects haven't done elsewhere in terms of that style of architecture but bringing it to that part of the country and and taking something that was so lackluster and turning it into something that you can go around it as many times as you want and you're gonna you're gonna you're still gonna have fun and i think that's that's the whole point is that you know there just isn't that much extraordinary architecture out there in my opinion and some of that is because as i was saying before you're limited Mm -hmm. in what you can do um but i think sweetens is maintained by five guys in a very modest budget you know it's it's great that's what seems to be the exciting
0: thing i mean there's there's so many golf courses that are I guess, and that's a better way to put it, that are, they already exist. Yep. Right? right. They're pretty mundane. That aren't near anything. But now, because that model's, you know, kind of proven a little bit that, mm-hmm. that people might be willing to go in there and make it something special. Well, and
2: I also think they embraced this sort of modern approach to the game where it's like, you know what? We don't have to play 18 holes. We don't have to carry 14 clubs. We don't have to be in our golf uniform. Mm-hmm. We can bring our music. We can go barefoot. We can play with a half set. We can play eight holes. We can play sixteen holes. We can go around five times. We can go around once. Uh, we can walk. Uh, you know, and, and it's. I think they embrace that really that vibe um, that really resonated with with a lot of people um, that just don't subscribe to this. You know the sort of the country club um yeah. sort I, of think, I think i think nine hole courses
1: are extremely underrated I, I i mean i grew up playing local nine hole courses i'm sure yep. you both did yep. as well they they at once upon a time were were i think the backbone that's not quite the right word but part of the fundamental of golf part part of the foundation of the sport it's it's that's how so many people learn we're on their local level even a Parth, i grew up on a par three course you know, it's still to this day, one of my favorite courses to play. Yeah. All the greens are round. The architecture is terrible and boring, but I can go out there in a Celtics jersey and with a case of beer and have a great time, you know? And that's the thing. You don't need 18 holes. You, you if, if, if it's good architecture, you know, nine holes go around many times. You put a bunch of tees out there, you know, some interesting yeah. greens. We're moving the pin around a lot. Yeah. You just don't need... That that extra nine, in my opinion, in a lot of cases, you know, it's it's half the maintenance budget. It's a little more than half the operations budget. It, it's it can be just as successful as an 18 hole golf course. And I think Sweeten's, you know, is a fine example of that. And I, I think it's definitely a trend that is gonna gonna continue to build in, in the golf industry is is embracing these alternative facilities yeah. that just aren't the standard 18 hole golf course. Yeah. You know, and and getting away from you know unnecessary length. So many architects are out there just getting these 73, 74, 7,500 yard golf courses. Every par four is a long par four. Every par three is a long par three. There are no reachable fives. You end up with this, you know, unnecessarily elongated golf course where you end up using six or seven of your clubs in your bag. Stevie only carries six or seven (laughs) clubs. So it's like three or four clubs for him, but (laughs) it, it takes, it takes something out of golf. You know, golf is a Golf is a sport that requires a thousand
0: shots. What, but what about the idea? I mean, there's, there's, some, I mean, they've been, we've been building 18 hole golf courses for for so long, and, and just because the course is 18 holes, doesn't mean you have to play 18. Sure. Holes. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in golf architecture, or golf course design, where you can come in and renovate and say, okay, I got to take an existing 18 hole course, and I don't, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but like doing something well, to I mean, we, it, well, yeah, something yeah, I mean, to it, where you can make it this year is a seven-hole yeah. routing here is it well or just routing? or
1: just taking 18 this is you know i'm looking at um because it's it is I, I i sort of decided a couple of years ago that it's going to be easier to find investors and buy golf courses than it is to generate work in my business so i've been pursuing a lot of that and a lot of the facilities i'm looking at um are kind of following along that that idea is taking an 18-hole course or a 27-hole course and splitting it in a you know, two or three distinct nine-hole courses where you really have a different character from nine holes to nine holes. And and maybe one is more challenging than the other, or maybe they're about the same, but the point is, is it's a different experience, a different character versus yeah. 18 holes, which, yeah. you know, when you're designing 18 holes, you, you go out of your way to make it
2: 18 yeah. holes with similar character and Well, you and look so at, forward. like, what we just mentioned about Belmont earlier down in Richmond, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. especially for the sort of the Beltway you know, DMV crowd that's likely listening to this podcast. I mean, getting down to Richmond is not difficult. Um, And they just did that with Belmont, where they had an 18-hole course, uh, Tillinghast design, and they recognized, you know what, the best way forward here is to reduce the golf course down to 12 holes. Add a little six-hole par three, so you've still got eighteen holes, like mm-hmm. as a technical matter, right? But you've got kind of and you can twelve.
0: It, you can slice it any way you want. Yeah, and even have if you've you been down to Belmont yet? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and what's really cool I like about it is, and I don't even know if this was intentional by them, but where the the way the routing works, in yeah. the clubhouse is, you could play just the first three. Absolutely. And call it a day.
2: Yep. Yeah, and it's kind of seamless, right? Like you, I mean, that—that's the sort of magic of it. You know, Brian and I, we we did Pinehurst together as well. We've been to Bandon. We've done Sweetens. We've, you know, we've done sort of, we we've done a lot of traveling together and sort of seen all the different ways that you can kind of, you know, uh, skin the cat, so to speak. And and you know, Pinehurst does it great too with the cradle there. I I think Brian and I agreed as good as the golf courses are at, at, at Pinehurst. The cradle is probably the most fun part of, of that entire resort. I mean, am yeah. I wrong?
1: Yeah, I'm out there, barefoot <laughs> with one club, and yeah. that's what the plan is for the short course here. There yeah. aren't going to be any golf cart pass. We'll have Sunday bags. It's yeah. walking only, unless you know you're handicapped and you take the handicap cart, which is a whole different matter. But when you're out there, it's it's a walking course like Bandon. Yeah. There are no yeah. golf cart passes. One of my favorite things about Bandon is is it's just golf in nature. There's yeah. just nothing else, which is what it what it should be.
0: I think I think I Josh sent you a picture of did. we were were down there this spring and we were we were we were on the cradle probably way way later than we were allowed to be. Basically pitch black, just banging balls around. It's so good. Well,
1: but that gets into you know conversations about lighting golf courses and so forth, which some people might say affects wildlife and this and that. But you know, I mean, when you can take tee times up to 10 p.m. in the summer, you know, and and expand golf the accessibility of golf that much more. I'm all for it With, with LED lights these days you know so these are all things where i think again there are no rules and, in golf and you
0: got you got to be I mean, this is, this is an aside but literally i got a text from my brother-in-law last night We went to, took my nephew apparently uh, they got they they had a tea time he, was, he my my nephew's you know 8 or 9 years old he's actually in the first tee program there and they went out to play the red course the yep. really short nine hole course i think their tea time was like 6:47 and the starter looked at him sideways and like what are you doing are like we're, we're going to play our tea time and he, he, my my brother-in-law, kind of said that the, the starter kind of scoffed at them. That it's going to be dark in fifteen minutes, and just drove off and kind of gave him attitude. And, he, and he's like, "Yeah, we got three holes in, yeah, yeah. and they loved it. They yeah, had a great good. time. And guess exactly. what? They paid.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Wow.
0: Um, listen, I, I think we should probably leave. It. I get the sense that we could talk here for like five hours. Yeah, we should. And I know you got places to go. I know. I know. Uh, they, we've got two. Um, what was I going to say? There's a lot of things we haven't even touched on. I know, yeah. like I know, you're anybody listening to this should definitely follow both you at least on Instagram. I know Josh is really active on Instagram. You're doing a lot of stuff with like Dormy Network. We haven't oh, yeah. touched on yeah, yeah. a bunch of other stuff. I know you just did the, the hundred hole hundred, hundred hole hike for Youth on Course. course.
2: Yep. yep, we didn't
0: really touch on that. There's a, there's a there's a project that we're not allowed to talk about that we've talked about off camera that we're really <laughs> excited about. We, 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 we won't go there, but I yeah. but you want you're going to want to follow. Uh, Brian to, to learn about so you got DC, Brian DC related golf yeah. news that he's
2: right. working on so Brian is is Kington Golf uh, and I'm on Instagram at DC Link Soldier
0: there you go glad, uh, you, so yeah. glad you put that in yeah uh, all right guys I, I appreciate well, let's it very do it again much. man this is, this is all, I know you have been talking about it for yeah, a long it's time always good to see you glad we're able, able to do it, it was great, great brother yeah, great talking appreciate about. you appreciate.
1: Alex I don't have a good golf game but I don't really care I'm a I'm a regular dude living in DC. And I want to know about DC-centric golf stuff. If you can tell me something that I don't already know, then that is great for me. I don't want the regular stuff. I want exciting stuff. I want different stuff. I don't want stuff I can't hear elsewhere. But I want it to be about DC golf.